What's new? What's new? Welcome back to another music interview. I'm Justin, the Floor God. This is the So Who's Up Next podcast, the show where I have curious conversations with my fellow musicians and people in the music space about their music, process, and creativity. Lonely Ghost Records is proof that with pressure comes polish. Work ethic, respect, and vision are staples of the Lonely Ghost brand. Everything is always a work in progress, but listening to John and Shane talk about exactly what it took to get their label to where it is was super interesting. As an independent artist, I was almost completely unaware of the infrastructure that labels need to create a proper environment for their business and artists to thrive. But during our talk, I learned so much about the inner workings of a label and how to develop the right mindset for growth and community. There's so much to unpack here. One of my favorite moments from the show was when I asked if there was anything about running a label they didn't expect, to which they said this. Oh boy, Um, Shane's laughing. I hear him, I hear him laughing. (laughs) Yeah, uh, that's because like almost all of it. it. (laughs) Wow, did you say that too, Shane? Yes. They do a great job of breaking down all these processes and more. I learned so much from these two and I'm positive you'll find immense value in this conversation. I also quickly wanted to let you know that I have ad slots open on every episode. So if you're an artist or record label or any other business in the music space looking to market their brand on long form evergreen content and on a platform that has only been growing, definitely hit me up. Send me an email to sohoosupnext at gmail.com with the subject line booming because that's exactly what you're going to experience the moment you advertise with me. Each ad slot is for a double placement pre-roll and post-roll so you maximize exposure for your brand so make the smart money moves and hit me up now for the show i'm john i record as super destroyer and i'm the co-owner of lonely ghost records and i'm shane i record as father of the year and i am also co-owner of lonely ghost records lonely ghost records nice to have you on the show thanks for having us tell me a little bit about how you guys met up and came up with the idea for the record label how does that happen Shane and I have known each other since we were 10. Technically, since we were 10, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, technically since we were 10. We became friends in high school more so, though. So we've known each other for a very long time, a majority of our lives at this point. Part of the reason why we started Record Label together is because we're best friends. I guess that would be that would be part of it. The other part was just like I've always like messed around with music, releasing music by yourself with no resources. You one make a lot of mistakes, but two feel very alone in general. You know, it can feel very uh, isolating and difficult and frustrating and discouraging. So I've been talking to a lot of different people on Twitter and Shane had started messing around with music a little bit, too. And we were like, what if we started a record label that would kind of help to pool some resources and help people not make the same mistakes that we've already learned not to make. Uh, And so we kind of invited just like people that we were friends with through Twitter, mostly onto the labels early on. And we kind of just started releasing music that way very casually. And it, uh, it grew from there. I like that a lot. That's super cool. And I think the message you're trying to get across and provide resources for artists and to make them feel less lonely, maybe less of a ghost, we could say. Yeah. Um, it is definitely a great perspective, especially as artists yourselves. So how long have each of you been making music? I haven't been making music quite as long in any kind of serious capacity as John. No, I picked up a guitar shortly after I graduated high school, kind of dabbled with stuff off and on here and there, but started taking it more seriously. 2018, um, I just had a lot of stuff that I was kind of going through, had on my mind and was like, 
I'm just going to put this out there and start recording things. So that year that we released the Father of the Year EP, he came with some guitar stuff and some ideas. And then I've been playing piano for like over 20 years. I taught myself guitar and drums and bass. I didn't really record like super seriously. I've been recording for over a decade, but I didn't really record anything to release until Super Destroyer. That was like 2017 for me where I first started recording. And really a lot of the stuff that I was doing at the time was more like trying to prove to my friends that I could get people to like my music so that they would join my band because I wanted to start like a band. They didn't It just slowly became this thing where I was just like, well, I slowly started getting more and more into it. And I was just like, well, this is kind of fun to be like a, a one person project in this way. And so uh, I slowly started like leaning into it and trying to make it better and make songs that I took a little bit more seriously over time. So I've been making music a long time, but in any sort of like serious capacity, it's probably honestly just like Super Destroyer. I've never really released anything before that. So no, I like that a lot. I feel like it's really important for people in a record label to have dabbled at the very least in the music space or the artist space you know what i mean so they have that kind of credibility they know maybe what to expect a bit more than your average joe off the street who's like hey i can make a record label yeah i and you know i i definitely agree with that because i think a lot of people look at record labels as artists are serving them and i think like it's really important like if you do record music and you make music and you care about like making art or you care about this thing that you're doing like you kind of want your record label to serve you, you know, like you want to know, like, how do I benefit? And I feel like most of the time the conversation is really like, how can this label use this band as a, as a commodity or a brand to basically, you know, a delivery system for merchandise, mm. right? Like that's usually what it is. So I think like having such a heavy artist input in general, like even when we run the label outside of Shane and I discussing things, like we talk with our other artists on the label about things sometimes, or we'll like try to get their input. And I think that that helps to kind of keep artists front and center. One of the things that we sought out to do when we finally decided to pull the trigger on putting together a record label was to kind of disrupt the way record labels and the music industry as a whole kind of functioned. We thought it was very predatory. And actually we were seeing a lot of our yeah. friends and friends in the scene getting taken advantage of pretty terribly yeah. and we were like this is gross we want to create something that serves the music community that we're in rather than just what can we get we try to give back in some kind of way and so that's kind of the ethos that we ran under and that's why we do try to keep in touch with the people that we're working with and the people who are on our label trying to find out what can we do to make your life easier and how can we kind of mutually benefit from each other in that way? Yeah, like our approach is kind of, I would say like when we call ourselves a DIY label, we don't mean like we're an emo label, which I think is kind of what kind of happened with the phrase DIY as like a shorthand, you know, it's kind of become this heuristic for like, oh, it's an emo label, but we're a DIY label in the sense of like, we really do it all ourselves. And that's like really the point for us. So like we say, fuck the music industry. And when I say that, I mean like Sony and all these giant corporations that have like commoditized every Every aspect of people's art to the point where they control it. And we want to help people like not need a label, you know, like mm -hmm. if you don't benefit from signing to a label, if there's not, and usually people don't, sometimes you're better off doing it on your own and you just need somebody to give you a little guidance. And so that's kind of why we like started doing some of the other things with the label beyond releasing music, because it was like, we had so many people who were like, Hey, uh, you know, I want to be on the label and Shane and I fund this ourselves out of pocket and we can't take on every good band we hear. And then we've heard a lot of really great bands approach us. And it's like, how can we help those people to continue to foster their art and have a resource as well so that, you know, even if they aren't on a label right now, they feel like there's some sort of support there. They kind of feel like they have some guidance and know what they're doing so that talented people don't get discouraged and, and give up. Because I think now more than ever, music can be and should be democratized.
right? Like everybody can record as good a production now as the stuff that was being released by most like emo and pop punk bands and stuff back in like 2009, you know? So like you can do that in your bedroom now. Why not just help people do that and then manage themselves? Yeah. Yeah. No, for sure. I definitely think that labels especially should come from a place where they're trying to provide as much value to the artists they sign as possible and really take care of them. I realize at the same time, that nurture goes both ways and we can get into that in a second but what are some of the challenges that you guys have had being kind of the kind fish in an ocean of predatory sharks and other malicious labels one of the things that we kind of try to do is always keep our head above water with the environments that we're in we always try to god this is going to sound so pretentious but we kind of try to take the high road whenever we can hmm. good ethics and is a better as how I'd there we go it. there we go ethical we, we, yeah. we try to make sure that everything we do is ethical and with integrity. So when we come across some of these predatory practices and things like that, at the very least, we say, not for us, thank you, we'll pass. But we also kind of try to work against that, you know. But in the beginning, we definitely had some encounters that were probably, they were discouraging, to say the least. <laughs> we were having a bad time all around with, uh, Holy shit, man. you know, yeah. pe people, people, <laughs> people taking advantage of us because we were new and unknown and just like literally taking money from us and then goes in yeah. and things like that. So we kind of took that as, you know, the growing pains of the first six months to a year. Actually, really, it was more like a year, but we kind of just took it all in stride where it was like, this is just what we're dealing with. We know what we're working against and we're going to kind of deal with it. And as we became a little more of a household name and what we were doing became a little more understood. I don't want to say they backed off, but they, it wasn't so bad anymore. The the things we were dealing with. Yeah. So like I kind of navigate more like the forward facing stuff in general. Shane does our Instagram account and I handle Twitter. I do a lot more of the interactions with artists and maybe more of the people who are kind of like in the different scenes that we reside within. And one of the things that I've tried to do is like early on, like DIY when we first started was different than it looks now even. And I think the corner of DIY that we are in is a little bit maybe more positive than some of the experiences we had early on. One of the things I learned is like, I tried to attack behavior instead of people. Hmm. So like, I don't attack like a record label as an entity because I don't want to signal boost these fucking people, right? Like mm -hmm. you can say you hate something, but we've learned from cancel culture that like when you quote unquote cancel something, it usually does better than it did before because it raises awareness that it exists. And most people unfortunately don't actually care about these things when they're not being monitored. So like the same people who will tell you, and I mean, like I've personally encountered this, like you'll see somebody going on tirades about like, oh, there's a rapist in that band and I won't listen to him. And then you find out like they were listening to him in the car. You know what I mean? Like, mm -hmm. I don't agree with that sort of thing. I think you do need to like believe what you say and you need to like act in line with your values. So, you know, if you're not going to listen to an artist because you think they're bad people, then you really shouldn't listen to them. Don't just say you're not, you know, but I, I don't want to signal boost things. So like instead, that's kind of part of why we started creating these other shows and talking about like things to look for, not look for, because that way I don't have to tell you like this record label is going to steal your money. Instead, I don't have to give the record label any recognition and we can just talk about how to avoid having somebody steal your money. I think starting a label, Shane and I were fortunate enough to like have enough money to lose some money. Early on, I was super broke. I was living off of minimum wage, but like I had a cheap enough living situation because I had a lot of roommates that I could throw a little money at the wall because this was like really important to me. And Shane had an actual like job uh, that was good. So, you know, he was making like a reasonable, decent, at least amount of money to have a little bit of expendable income. We kind of knew that we were going to fail a lot early on and that helped too. So like some of the insidious stuff that you see, like we saw that as like, ah, that's a learning experience instead of it being like this thing that like broke us 
because we did try, you know, we had publicists try to take it, who did take advantage of us, basically stole money. We have had graphic designers do the same thing. We learned the hard way, which is part of the whole point of this label was like, help people not do that. That's kind of, I think part of it is just like trying to have some sort of value system in place that we adhere to. Anybody can say something, but it's really how you act. That is really what's going to be important. We try to live by that of like, you know, our actions should speak louder than our words. So if we want to see people being able to find success or DIY democratize music process, then we should be contributing to that in some way and actually trying to help people do that. 100%. I feel like that's a great mindset to have. And I feel like it's also good that you guys went in knowing you would get this kind of response, you know, from people trying to take advantage of you. But Shane, something you mentioned earlier was that you got, you mentioned the phrase household name, right? I've been following you guys for, I don't even know how long, but I definitely recognize Lonely Ghost when I see it, you know, or like you guys have a look, you guys have a vibe. What did it take for you guys to build enough credibility in order to like surpass that flag? I'm just curious about what it took to build that credibility? Uh, the the very short answer to that is time and persistence. Mm-hmm. It does help that John and I kind of feed off of each other in the sense that, you know, if one of us is feeling down, the other one is usually able to say, okay, but here's where yeah. reality lies. There have been plenty of times and plenty of conversations that have been had where we're just like, Jesus fucking Christ, is this worth it? Like, <laughs> um, what, oh, no. like, what, yeah. like, like, what, what are we doing? Everything feels like it's working against us kind of thing. And it's like one of us would inevitably say, yeah, but I mean, look at the growth that we've actually seen. And, and that yeah. kind of thing. And so that was a big part of it was, you know, really just sticking with it and sticking to it so that we can eventually see something. And then the other part of it too was consistency. Every time we started to become more consistent with something, we would gain a little more traction. Mm-hmm. Uh, we And we started that with the publicist that we eventually did start working with. We started doing things on a regular basis. So our name got put in front of more and more people. And as we did that. And as we started to grow, we were seen more and more often. So we weren't just one of these fly by night kind of operations where anybody could just, like you said, just some guy who's putting together a record label. It's like, oh, they're legit. They've been around for a while. They're a name I've seen here, there and everywhere. That's kind of the thing that we had to do was just keep at it. Those were the conversations where it was like, man, we're not making the progress we want to see. And then it was like, yeah, but we are making progress. Like forward progress is still progress. Yeah. Sometimes it's just a matter of like some random person and seeking you out. Like, I remember the first time we got a pitch, it was like, holy shit, this is the first time this has ever happened. That's progress right there. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, we're not approaching our friends anymore. Like strangers are like, hey, and sometimes the pitches are really, really good. And sometimes they're not. But that's one of the things that we've also noticed is just like the quality of the pitches that we generally get now are like, really like we could sign most of those bands it's just more a matter of like we don't have the resources to sign most of those bands the other thing i would say though is like the networking aspect i was pretty aware early on this label is built off of a twitter account literally every person we know in music now came from me like talking to people on twitter so like that networking aspect of like being a part of a community actually engaging with people getting to know them making friends with them and then you find like oh this person that you know that you're friends with who you've swapped demos with for a year knows somebody who does this other thing that you need like a publicist right like we met our publicist through a mutual friend we met our lawyer who helped structure the label like henderson he owns the alt we met him just because i reached out to him because he had this like really cool idea for a subsidized like government music streaming service that would pay artists more and i really liked it so like I reached out to him talking about that and I didn't realize that he was even an entertainment lawyer or anything like that. Mm -hmm. And so it ended up turning into a relationship there. And I think like by meeting people who are vouched for by other people that you know, where like, you know, other people you trust saying like that person is a good person.
person. Like if you work with them, you're at least going to get what you're being told you're going to get. That was really helpful. And then having a few people that know more than you that you can trust is great. Like, you know, I try to build relationships with people who are just starting out so that I can kind of help mentor some of them. But then also like we have people that we're friends with who are more seasoned than us and we ask for advice. You know, we try not to make only our own mistakes. Sometimes we try to like avoid making other people's. So I think like that community aspect has always been super important in those kind of connections. If you are an artist, if you want to start a label or just like have a, a band on your own, like go participate and meet people. Like you'd be surprised at how many people are super super friendly if you just reach out to them. Like so many people, especially within like the DIY spaces, aren't inaccessible. Like if you say hi to them, they'll probably just say hi back. Like Mm -hmm. most people are really open to that. And they actually, a lot of the people I've met, it's been really pleasant to see like they want to be helpful because they legitimately love this. Like people who DM us, I respond you know that. I mean, pretty quickly, like Mm -hmm. I say hi to everybody, you know? And I think that was really helpful to like learn that. That social anxiety, because it was really hard for me when I first started out, I was like super anxious And I still kind of feel that way sometimes, but like just realizing that like you can reach out to people, you can ask people questions and they'll probably help you, I think Mm -hmm. is super important. I think all that's super cool. And I definitely agree that credibility stems from a mix of what you do, the number of times you do it in any given period, and then also who you know. I've definitely experienced that with the podcast, you know, just kind of snowballs a little bit. And then before you know it, you're talking to some person halfway across the world who you otherwise yeah. would never have had contact with. So that's super cool that you realize the same power and you know treat it with that respect. But another really important aspect to credibility is just how you go about conducting yourselves. So Absolutely. let's pivot a little bit. And I'm curious how you sign artists. What do you look for? I like their music. <laughs> Usually Shane and I, Shane and I will sit down and like, sometimes we look at pitches. Sometimes we approach people that we, usually people that we know and we like their music and like, we know they've kind of been looking and Shane and I are like, Hey, we could take that on. This is going to make it sound like everything just happens by magic or, or something like that. But the things that we end up signing kind of fall into our lap. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, so it's it's there hasn't been very many instances of us going out and seeking people to sign. There was usually either someone or multiple people who were already in our periphery who were like, all right, we're aware of you. We like this. Do you want to join us with what we're doing? And that was kind of how the first group of people who we signed when we first started the label. And it was a very different thing back then. <laughs> we were like, hey, we want to do this thing. We think that having a core group of people, we can build this community. We could kind of leverage the group dynamic over everybody doing this individually into into something more. And that was how the first set of them came. And then as we met more people and got involved with more artists and bands and things like that, we started knowing about people who were looking and wanted to do something and didn't know how to do it. And we were like, hey, we can kind of help you with that. If we liked it, we'd be like, do you want to come on to the label? More recently in the past, I'll say six months to a year is when we started getting pitches from people. Then we would have to look at it and say, okay, one, do we like this? And then two, can we support it? And those are usually the two big questions. Something we were also talking about before was that the nurture that a label gives the artist also has to be reciprocated. What can artists do for labels that benefits both sides? I think DIY labels function very differently than something like some of the bigger labels might. For example, we take on artists that pretty much never have a following. Hmm. And then we try to provide them with resources to build a following with us. Uh, Where like most labels are going to find bands that already have a pretty big following. And so that's kind of what the band offers to the label sometimes is like you have you know 
600,000 monthly listeners and we have a bunch of money to press your vinyl and help you go on tour or whatever and to afford some things that you need in order to like level up as a band. And usually it's very transactional in that way. I think with smaller labels, especially with DIY labels, what artists offer is probably like community feedback, sometimes a little bit of help, like Nelson, who records his Leave Nelson B. I mean, he helps us out with a lot of stuff. Like, you know, he has a whole podcast that he does, um, but also like, you know, he'll pick up the slack for us when we need it. I'm like, hey, if can you do this or that? And he usually does and can't. But I just think like being supportive of one another is huge. And then obviously like that notion of like, I was talking about signal boosting earlier, of just like, you know, hyping up your label mates and like sharing their music, just helping each other like spread word. I think that's that's super big for smaller labels. We're like bigger labels, again, it's pretty transactional. So it's going to be like, we're going to own your music on a bigger label and you are going to get a bunch of money from us to press vinyl. And we're going to have a certain percentage split and we're going to facilitate you touring around the country, depending on how big the label is and how big the band is. That band will either make very little money off of that or a lot of money off of that. Mm-hmm. With us smaller labels, like we don't own the rights to the music at all. We license it. So like our artists get the majority of the profits and stuff like that. So I think it kind of depends on the situation. I would say nowadays you should never be signing your rights over as a musician to your music. Because if you can't play your own songs live, something is drastically wrong. You created that. I would only tell people like look for licensing deals, but then in return, maybe you'll be expected to promote other bands more or like contribute more of your own money into projects. Like maybe if you sign your rights away, somebody going to pay for 100% of your vinyl, but on a small label, they're going to be like, hey, we'll cover 50% mm-hmm. and you're going to have to cover 50%. So I think that's part of the trade-off. No, I think that's a great approach. Something else I wanted to get into was being a DIY label and, or just a label in general, you curate the artist's music or the sound in a very specific way. I think it was John earlier, you mentioned it, without you even trying really that you kind of went down in history, I guess, as a an emo label based off your taste. And that's definitely one of the labels we could slap onto the overall sound. But I'm more curious about because I know when, I guess, uh, when you think bigger labels or, or bigger artists signing to bigger labels, my head jumps to, oh, that label has way too much control, one, and then also too much creative control over the actual project. So I'm curious as to how much control you guys have over the creativity of what your artists are producing. I mean, we have about as much control as anybody receiving some demos would. People send us stuff and uh, usually it's as simple as like, hey, do you like this? Uh, what do you like about it kind of thing and Mm -hmm. we give suggestions back and if they decide that they're going to do this thing that maybe i'm not like a huge fan of we still release the song anyway because it's their music i think like the way we approach things is more like we try to find people who are interested in exploration Hmm. within like music itself so like one of the things that i think unites every pretty much every single band on our label is almost everybody uses synths and everybody uses drum machines and everybody's doing these kind of like electronic components into their art. And so we generally are looking for that kind of thing where like Super Destroyer does a lot of like weird electronic stuff mixed in with like hardcore and post-punk emo and and whatever. We tend to find other bands that also are doing those things like Hey, I Love You is pretty, we kind of were calling it post-genre. I think what we now we're people are calling it like emo, but it's a fifth wave. I think either one works, but like we look for people who just want to do interesting things and new things. And we kind of let them do that because to me, all of my favorite bands are bands that no other band can scratch the itch. Hmm. So it's like, if I, my favorite bands are always bands where it's like, I won't hear anybody else who sounds like this. So I have to listen to this band. And so I think on our label, 
we're always trying to cultivate people who want to do that sort of thing where, yeah, maybe you have heard other emo bands with like electronic components, but like, not like this. We try to like let people do interesting stuff and just kind of pursue what they want. Because I think sometimes from our perspective, Shane and I, sometimes you can see the future, right? Like you can see like this sound has a certain quality to it that when people hear it, whether it's from this band or somebody like them, it's going to be big. Sometimes you don't. And sometimes like, I think you have to trust, like if you respect an artist and their instincts, you also have to be willing to like trust that whatever it is they're doing is worthwhile also. Mm. So I think with us, we try to trust our artists to like pursue whatever creative avenues they want. And we try to facilitate the best version of that, that they can have. So like more so what we probably do is like help people with like finding the right engineer or, you know, like maybe having a little bit of an opinion within like, the mix of a of a song or something where it's like the artist and I will both listen and Shane and we'll all kind of like try to figure out what we agree or don't agree on as the song's being mixed but as far as like the actual songs themselves I would say like literally I give people my opinion assuming that they'll take it or leave it and I don't necessarily expect one or the other. I genuinely provide feedback under the understanding that like I'm just telling you an opinion and opinions are subjective and you don't have to listen to me. I think it's less about creative control or like individual songs and more just about like trying to find people that we think have a certain quality and ability. To the creative control part, we make a point of letting people know you can do whatever you want. We'll tell you if it's, you know, not good or not. The parts that we might take control of a little bit are some of the, you know, production end of things where if something doesn't sound good, that would be something that we might take control over and say, no, you need to, you know, re-record this or or something like that. And that hasn't happened so far, to be perfectly honest, except for right. with myself. I, I have done that to myself, <laughs> but otherwise, um, not really. Sorry, but go ahead, Jane. But yeah, otherwise, we don't take any kind of control over what anyone does unless we're specifically asked to be part of yeah. a project, in which case we have creative control over the part that we're involved in. I do want to speak a little bit on innovation. So you guys were mentioning that one of the things you look for in an artist is just how they're pushing not only their sound, but also earlier, John, you mentioned like you guys operate within a certain corner of the DIY space, right? So yeah, how are you guys as a record label pushing genre to become maybe post-genre, whatever you want to call it, or how are you innovating in your own way? So I think like we've always been picking up bands that were like fifth wave before fifth wave was fifth wave, if you oh, will. Like right. we we've been signing people doing like weird shit since like the day we started nice. people who were experimenting with different sounds and stuff. I'm not saying that like we're responsible for that by any means, but I'm just saying like <laughs> it kind of was like a, a nice like I thought that a sound like that would become popular, even if we weren't the people who were going to make it popular. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I think in that way, like we kind of just fit in, we're starting to fit in really well in that way, because we kind of do have a bigger foundation for that. But also like, I don't know. I mean, we collaborate with people, like we're friends with knife punch. We're friends with chill wave. We're friends with solidarity club. We're friends with open door, like all these different labels. Like we try to bounce ideas off of each other or collaborate with people, even if it's not like in a super extreme way, or we'll even like, if we get a good pitch that like, we can't sign them, we'll like send them to one of those other labels and be like, Hey, you should talk to them because like, if they're signing someone, you might be a good fit. And so I think like, I don't know if it necessarily inspires innovation or not. And I think like every label that I mentioned is doing something innovative to them. 
right? So like their own little bit of innovation. I think we all have our own approaches and like ways of doing this. And the reason why all these different labels kind of have innovative stuff going on is because we are actually like a community where we try to help each other out. And I think like by having some extra help, sometimes knowing that you have a safety net makes it easier to take a risk. I'm really appreciative of the other people in the scene who are doing stuff like that and who like will approach us with an opportunity or we can approach them with an opportunity. It makes it easier. Even like a sounding board where like, I'll talk to Danny at Knife Punch and they'll be like, yeah, this is a really cool idea. You guys should totally try that out. Or Mm -hmm. I don't know if that really is worth your time. And it's like having that, even that input or opinion from somebody else doing something similar, having a similar role on a label can be helpful. So I think in that way, like we're all finding bands that I think are unique to our own preferences as far as like sound goes and tastes and music. But I think we're all really supportive of each other. Mm -hmm. And I think as a scene in our little corner, it seems friendlier. I mean, I'm sure there's going to be people who would be like, I've had a terrible experience and like, that's going to be true in music in general. But like, I think at the label, me, Danny, you know, Alex and, and all these different people who are like doing stuff as like operating labels, I think you'll find that like all of those people are really open and friendly to trying to help musicians out. When you have musicians who are able to ask for advice and get help and get input and feedback from like, albeit small labels, but labels, um, I think that that does foster maybe some more creativity. You just have some sort of reference point to work off of. Definitely being in cahoots with other people in very similar spaces, super important to developing a more collective mindset whenever it comes to approaches of you know what kind of sound you want to curate maybe how you go about promoting your other media or things like that you pick kind of what you want to take away from everyone and then you make your own new kind of style out of that and something i'm curious about is how you go about marketing your artists you guys have mentioned that as a diy label you guys don't always have the optimum budget for doing projects how you'd want to do them and that's totally understandable you know as an independent artist i'm definitely on the same page uh, or even less so to be honest but whenever you're looking to push a new release what are the, some of the steps that you guys take? One of the big things that we try to do early on is figure out timelines. Our marketing is probably like pretty DIY. I mean, it truly is pretty DIY, but mm-hmm. we use a lot of social media. The other thing though is the PR system that we have. So we really try to have a good PR campaign rollout where we're trying to put the music in front of different tastemakers, writers, playlisters, and stuff like that to kind of see if we can get something that catches with somebody and you know something that they want to write about. And that can kind of help gain exposure because you'll find that writers sometimes like music that they don't write about. They just like, don't always know what they want to say about it. Or they'll be like, this is cool, but not quite what I'm looking for right now. And then the next time maybe your album is. So I'd say that helps. Also, we give ourselves a lot of time. So we try not to start any sort of campaign until we have the masters in our hand. And from that point, we usually project about three months out. We start thinking about the trailers, the angle of the album, if you will, like what story are you trying to tell or what narrative do you want to have constructed around this? Mm-hmm. Our artists give us some of that information as well, like what the album's about and all that kind of stuff. And then, you know, we kind of share it with other people that we're friends with behind the scenes. And that way they're aware that it's going to come out and maybe they'll be able to like share as well. So I don't know, again, we're still kind of DIY. I think a lot of our marketing still comes from either doing like press and PR or just like social media and making connections and like little stuff like the trailers, like the video trailers I make that are kind of fun and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Shane, was there anything you wanted to add to that? John, more than me, but pretty regularly there are planning meetings that happen with the PR person that we work with, Dean. And those strategy calls are kind of integral to how we go about 
doing any kind of marketing. So even before we necessarily have masters in hand, we'll be talking to Dean about what we want to look at, what kind of timeline we want to look at, what kind of publications or PR we want to try to get. Are we looking at one big thing for when it comes out or do we want to try for a few smaller things with the singles or do we want to do a combination of the two and who do we want to try to get to have eyes on a project? So that's pretty important to how we go about marketing is we do have a lot of things on the back end where we're strategizing about who's coming out when, what makes sense, what kinds of things do we need to have prepared, what kind of graphics, what kind of videos, what kind Mm -hmm. of material in that way do we need to have so that we can start going. And, you know, sometimes it is too a matter of, does it make more sense to have a video? Does it make more sense to have pictures? Does it make more sense to put this on Twitter? Does it make more sense to put this on Instagram? Do you want an album review? Do you want a premiere? Do you want Mm -hmm. just like a feature? I mean, are we looking for more playlisting spots or do we want more press? Who is the audience? for this? Mm-hmm. Like, do we have any inkling of like, who might actually like this? I suppose you're right, Shane. It's a little bit more complex than I made it sound, but like if the planning process for the actual rollout starts about three months in advance, I would say the initial planning stages of like, what do we have here is probably starts six months to six, five or six months ahead of time where we usually will get like demos or at least start getting some completed demos of songs where we can be like, what do you think? Uh, and so, you know, everybody's kind of on the same page and thinking about where it could go. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's crazy. Like I can only imagine just how stressful it is to try to optimize each campaign per artist because each artist's audience is completely different. Or I mean, there's obviously some overlap um, within the the lineup you guys have probably, but especially just the variables uh, based on individual approach, you know, what feels right, what platforms to put it on. So much to think about. That's incredible. I commend both of you for all that labor. That's that's crazy. What's the one thing that you thought you knew about starting a record label, but as you got into the thick of it, your perspective completely changed? Oh, boy. Um, Shane's laughing. I hear him. I hear him laughing. Yeah, uh, that's because like almost all of it. it. (laughs) Wow, did you say that too, Shane? Yes. Yeah, (laughs) all of it. Uh, Every single bit of it. (laughs) So pick something and uh, it is not what we thought we were getting into at all, at all. But I, you know, it's at least for me, like I would say now the past six months or so, I feel like all the frustration and hard work and discouraging experiences that we had have finally kind of broken into something more positive where I think like we finally learned enough of the ropes where despite the fact that it's all different than what we expected, it's kind of like fun now because we learned enough that we're not like constantly having to learn something new to make every single decision that we need to make. And I think that's been fairly recent. The other thing is just like, you know, before Shannon mentioned time, you can't go on an endeavor like this, whether it be a record label or a band and think, okay, next year I'm going to be huge. Most bands like have been around for five years before they blow up. That's almost like the exact marker for a band to blow up. It's almost always five years. A band will be around for five years. That's about how long it takes for them to get attention, for people to have a fan base and for other people to start sharing their music. I don't know why that's the case, but it seems to be the case. And I would say like, same with a record label, like you kind of just have to be around for a while. You just have to have patience to like meet people and learn things and then learn new things and then learn how to do that same thing that you already learned differently because now you're dealing with a larger volume or a different way of doing it because you have to change it to adapt to like new needs or whatever. So like, I think if you approach it as a learning experience, I've had fun learning new things. Like I love the fact that like, I love learning in general, but like I really have enjoyed learning how to navigate this and like how things work within this industry. But yeah, like none of it was what I expected it to be at all. 
<laughs> and Shane, what about you? Yeah, like John said, we said everything at pretty much the exact same time. Probably one of the big things for me was what a record label is typically even responsible for. And <laughs> <laughs> um, it kind of going back to the thing you said earlier about, you know, it's not just some guy who's doing stuff out of his basement. Not that we didn't have faith in our work ethic or anything like that, but we definitely did not realize how many hats we were going to have to wear in order to do simple tasks. <laughs> like one example from recent history is how much freaking work it is to get an Instagram post. Just one Instagram post is hours of work. <laughs> it can be, yeah. I never would have thought. It's almost a, a full-time job, and in some cases, a, it is a full-time job outside of our full-time job. Mm. And that's probably one thing that we didn't expect. You know, it was, okay, we're going to corral some people together. We're all going to share each other's music, <laughs> and it's going to be a community and everything like that. But at the end of the day, you know, we do run a business. There is a ton of work on the back end that we didn't necessarily account for when we started. Yeah, We, we knew it was going to be work, but we didn't know what kind of work or how much. And the what kind is probably one of the biggest things that we didn't account for. Like John is basically an artist manager at this point, did not account for that to happen at yeah. all. Yeah, we're both graphic designers now and uh, video editors. We split Fry DIY in half. So like half of that series, I edit and narrate half the series. Shane edits and narrates. I edit all the Trash Ghost sessions. I edit the video podcasts. I edit the audio podcasts. I've learned how to do a lot of the mock-ups and graphics stuff around imagery, all the pings and different things you see on our website with Shane and I making all of that. So every graphic you see on our website, like we commissioned some of the art or in some cases we made it ourselves. Mm -hmm. Then we had to like populate all that. We learned how to basically manage a website that was designed from scratch for us. Like it's the only way to afford it. So like we've learned how to do like so many just like weird things. If we paid for the amount of stuff that we have, like it would cost us thousands of dollars a month to run a label like this because you would have to compensate people for that work. I mean, a one minute fry DIY video takes about four hours wow. of editing. So, you know, we're getting more efficient, but you know, I never thought I would be sitting in a, at my computer editing videos or making album trailers or editing tape mock-ups or ads or whatever. Like that's just totally like in a million years, not at all what I expected to be doing. One of the things that probably surprised us the most in the beginning is that paying people to do work actually is harder than it sounds, <laughs> which is also why John and I do so much of the stuff that we do is we couldn't pay people to work with us. We were like, we have this money. We don't have the time. Please help us. Mm -hmm. We will pay you. They'd say, oh yeah, I'm on it. We wouldn't hear from them for two months. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Yeah. It was really hard to find like anybody reliable. Like now it's like, we've kind of learned how, so we still collaborate with artists and stuff. We don't really seek out a lot of that just because we don't need to. And I think in the long run, that's actually been super beneficial for our growth because we would not be able to do the amount of stuff that we do. Yeah, I feel like there's an importance to doing everything yourself or at the very least knowing how to do everything for yourself because maybe it's the funds or maybe it's the time or a mix of both, you know? Yeah. Whenever you can't rely on other people, you can always rely on yourself. I think that's super important, especially for anything DIY, you know, artists and record labels alike in both of those respective processes. 
Before we get into some advice from the Lonely Ghost Records crew, I'll let John take over for some shout outs. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Lonely Ghost Rex, but also check out our website, www.lonelyghostrecords.com. We have a show called Fried DIY that provides minute long episodes on how to do different things related to like releasing music and making music. So if you're trying to get into that space, those can be really helpful jumping off points. They're really digestible. We also have a podcast called Talent with Ellen, Ellen B interviewing different artists. We also have an artist spotlight where we spotlight a different artists, not necessarily DIY or even emo every month, but we take pitches for that. If anybody wants to be considered for that, you can access that through the about page on our website. We also do community reviews now. We have a lot of community stuff for people who aren't on the label to get some exposure, share stuff that they like, share their own music. So come check that out. Please contribute. Like we're super open to that and feel free to like reach out to us and say, Hey, if you DM me on Twitter, I promise you, I will eventually answer you. Lonely Ghost Records, a great group. And now for some advice. Watch Fry DIY. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, actually, though, for real, check out that series because we do try to constantly update topics and people can send us stuff of like, what do I do for this or what do I do for that? So we do actually give a lot of advice to that. But I'll give two pieces of advice. The first is if you're going to pitch to a label, you should know who the label is. You should know the bands on the label and the pitch should be specific to that label. When I read a generic pitch, I don't care if the music's good. I'm probably not just me. I know for a fact, Shane, also we agree, like we're not going to sign somebody who sends us a generic pitch because if you're just looking for what we can give you mm-hmm. and you don't even care about us, why would we invest our own money into that? We don't really make money back on a lot of these releases. Like Shane and I operate this business really more as like a charity at a loss. So like, we don't really get reimbursed for a lot of the money that we spend. So it's like, if we're going to put out people's music, knowing that we may never, ever get a return on it because we give all the profits back to the artists, but we still front the cash. I don't want to work with somebody who's just going to try to use us and leave. So I want somebody who's excited about working with us and all the other people I know who run labels say the same thing. Like it's super exciting when you get a pitch where an artist specifically seeks out your label because of your sound or your aesthetic or the Mm -hmm. things that you're up to or whatever. And they're aware of it. Like that's a person where you're like, okay, they're probably going to want to stick around for a while. So if I invest in them, I feel like they're investing in me. Mm -hmm. So that's one of the pieces is like generic pitches are garbage. Like nobody really cares. It doesn't matter how good your music is it's very disincentivizing from a label's perspective because most labels, again, really don't make a ton of money, at least smaller ones off of their releases. Chances are like they're licensing it and stuff like that. The other thing I will say is if you are trying to get involved with the label, never, ever sign your rights away. Never, ever sign your rights away to music. You should always own the rights to your music. You should be licensing your music to people. If they're trying to own the rights, you should not take that contract. I don't care how good the money looks. I don't care how good a percentage looks. Nothing. Never sign the rights to your music away because ultimately that leads to people getting screwed out of their own art, which has happened to several of our friends who now like refuse to even work with labels because they had their masters literally like thrown away or they had to spend $10,000 to get their masters back from a label. Never sign your rights away. Always try to license your music because if you are, then at least you can retain control of like, for example, performing your own songs, making a music video without having to get permission, usually making merch and things like that. So you really don't want to give people the rights to your music. And Shane, what advice do you have? Understand that the people that you're pitching to are probably busy and one, make the stuff that you pitch to them as easily accessible as possible. One of the things that is in like a Friday OI episode is a SoundCloud link is infinitely more accessible and easy to get to than trying to download every track from Google Drive or, or a Dropbox or anything like that. And also put all of the information that someone should know about it along with your pitch in that same email or in the same document that you're, you're pitching to the label, but then 
also, it's not always a bad idea to follow up. If you are actually interested in the label that you're pitching to and you do genuinely want to work with them and it's not just like a shotgun, oh, I'm going to pitch this to everybody and see who accepts me. If you do want to work with that label, it can't hurt to follow up. And so if you don't hear from somebody, it's never a bad idea to at least say, hey, you know, I sent this to you last week. Did you get a chance to listen to it or something like that? There have been several times where John and I are like, oh, we need to listen to this. And then we immediately get a phone call about something that's going on either with our job or, you know, we get something from another release that's happening in that week and we get distracted. We've already read the email. And so we don't think about it again. And then we don't realize that we haven't listened to it until it's, you know, a couple of weeks to a month later. We're like, oh crap, we never got back to this person. So don't be afraid to follow up. Don't be afraid to reach out. Be polite though. Like, don't be like pushy about it. That's the other thing. Like if you come off as rude, we don't really get like paid to do this. And most people who are running labels, even if they are making money doing it, like they don't make enough money to probably want to deal with people who are super demanding and rude. Also, like, know what a label does. So, like, most labels are really responsible for, like, helping with merchandise, helping with distribution, and helping with putting your music in front of tastemakers. Labels do not make people famous. Bands make themselves famous. Labels provide resources to make that a possibility. Hmm. Um, you know, you can't expect your label to be like, hey, you didn't get me 10,000 listeners. Like, no, you should get yourself 10,000 listeners. I'm just helping you get in front of the right people, and I'm helping provide you with things so that you can take that and then utilize that as tools to go find that crowd. So like, know like what you're looking for, I guess. Like one of the first questions I ask people is like, what is it that you want to accomplish with this release? Because depending on what it is, we might not be a good fit or we could be great. But you know, if you're like, oh, well, I'm hoping to have 50,000 monthly listeners off this album, like you definitely aren't going to be working with us probably because uh, we don't have those kind of resources. So I think you got to know what you're doing and as well. You'd be surprised at the kind of stuff that you encounter in pitches. It can be pretty wild. I can only imagine people pitch me music because sometimes I do like music reviews or whatever, or if they want to be on the podcast, you know, I haven't gotten anything too far out there yet. You're so you will. <laughs> <laughs> you will eventually. Oh, shit. And you never know how to respond. Oh, oh. <laughs> like you-